Now, like Marty said, we are in the year of hope. And we've defined hope this way. It's as you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God as we fall on the character of God. Sometimes there are negative people in our world that just suck the hope out of us. We're going to start a new mini-series today called Tool Time. Now, one of the things I love to do while I'm on my sabbatical is read. I read profusely, okay? I don't know, 10, 15 books. And I love to read self-help books. And self-help books out there, in essence, say the same thing. They say this, all you need to succeed in life is desire and determination. And I like to read these kind of books. But I would have you know, that is not true. I know a lot of people that have desire and determination that are not successful in life. It is partially true that you need desire and determination. But you need more than desire and determination. You need tools and you need skills. This summer, I went to see the family farm up in Missouri that we inherited from my father-in-law, Wayne, who passed away, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And I can guarantee you this, that a farmer can pray all that he wants to pray. He can pray hard, desire and determination. But if he plants the wrong seed and he doesn't give it the right amount of water and the right kind of fertilizer, he's not going to get a bumper crop. And even if he gets a crop, and our farm is all about soybeans and corn. In fact, we've got the the best producing farm in the state of Missouri. It's a little 128-acre farm. That's all it is, okay? It's on the Missouri bottoms. But it is very fertile. It's won all kinds of contests. But I can guarantee you this. You might grow soybeans on that farm, but if you try to harvest them with a tomato harvester, it ain't going to work. If you try to harvest the corn with a grape harvester, guess what? It ain't going to work. You've got to have the right tools and you have to have the right skills to succeed. This is a principle in life. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Will you circle the word skill and success and draw a line between the two? You have to have the right skills. It's not just enough to have desire and determination. You have to have the right skills and you have to have the right tools. And so today we're starting a series called Tool Time. And as your pastor, I want to put some tools in your toolbox that will help you fulfill the very purpose which God has created you for. Because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10.10, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. In other words, if your tools are dull, you're going to have to put out more energy. But if your tool, your axe, is sharp, it takes less energy. It goes along with that old adage, work smarter and not just harder. Now understand something. Anytime you come to church, you are sharpening your tool. Because of how I teach, 
I am a life application pastor, and I don't apologize for it. I tell you a truth, and then I give you a lot of practical ways in which you can apply that truth in your life that are personal, practical, and positive. And so when you come to church, and I want to encourage you, don't miss a Sunday. When you come to church, you are sharpening your tool. When you get involved in one of these groups that are going to be built around purpose for six weeks, I guarantee you this, it's going to sharpen your tool. When you get involved in a Bible study at LifePoint Church, it's going to sharpen your tool. We've written new, what I call, pathway to purpose classes. Step one, pathway to purpose. Step one, step two, step three, step four, that we're going to be launching in this series. When you take those classes, you will be sharpening your tool. Now, one of the skills and tools that you need is how to deal with negative people in your life, which raises the question, what is a negative person? Well, in your outline, I've given you a definition. It is a person who says something won't work or it's impossible. It's the cynic who habitually uh, expresses pessimistic views. They always see the glass half empty and not half full. Now, how many of you have, have a negative person in your life? May I see your hands? Just raise them up. Don't look at them right now. Just raise your hand, okay? Everybody who's accomplished anything in their life has had their critics. The Wright brothers had their critics. Man can't fly. President Kennedy had his critics. It's impossible to go to the mean moon. Anything great that has ever happened has always had critics around them. Now let me say this. Not all critics are bad. In fact, I would say that a lot of the critics are good. They're good, godly, great people, people who love you and people who want the best for your life. But they're just mistaken. And the reason that they're mistaken and say, you know, it can't be done, you're not the person, is they don't know what you know from God. God has given you a purpose. And if you don't know it, you better know it. So you can look back on your life and say, I fulfilled it. They haven't, they don't know the purpose that you have. They don't have the dream that you have. They don't have the vision that you have. They don't have the mission that you have. And so as a result, they don't understand. And oftentimes, they're negative. They're good, godly people who love you, who want the best. But they don't know what you know. I've had a lot of negative people in my life who didn't have the dream that, I, that God gave me, and they were not bad people, folks. When I started in the ministry, I had family members, George, say, you are absolutely crazy. And then when I decided to start our, our, our own church here in Plano, he says, George, you are crazy now. We know it. You have no building, no money, and, and, and no people. You're crazy. And folks, they were good people. They loved me. They wanted the best. Now, I would have you know, Cheryl was not one of those. When I shared the vision, hey, I believe God is leading us to, to Dallas to start a church. She honestly said, George, it scares me to death. We got three boys. But if God is leading, I'll support you. I often wonder if LifePoint would exist if Cheryl had been negative. 
I often wonder how many thousands of people would have not have been affected with the gospel if Cheryl would have been negative. I often wonder, would we, would, would LifePoint have the impact of caring for 54 orphans solely down in Haiti? I, I often wonder, would we have the, I don't know, 15 plus LifePoint churches in the Philippines? Would we have the opportunity to go to Cameroon where we're discipling a whole nation? And hopefully I get to see the prime minister here in a few weeks. You see, sometimes you can miss the will of God if you listen to negative people and not to God. But again, oftentimes, those negative people are not bad people. They're good, they're godly, they're great, they love you. They just don't have the same perspective as you do. So how do you face this kind of opposition? How do you face negativity? You have to learn the skill. You have to sharpen that skill. And fortunately, God has given us a story in the Bible. You remember the story of David and Goliath? This is a story of David, and it's a story really of David, okay? And you know the story. The Philistines have this giant of a guy that is intimidating all Israel. And they're afraid. And David shows up on the scene and he says, I'll take that sucker on. I'll chop off his head. He's history, okay? But what you may not know is that before David got to fight Goliath, he had four other giants that he had to face. Four different types of negative people before he could get to the big boy. And the first one was this. First negative person was his dad. Now I have to be authentic with you. When I wrote this message and I started praying over this, I thought, God, I was wrong with my son, David. I had a different dream for David. He came back for my birthday. And I thought, David's dad held him back. Oftentimes, it is a parent that will hold you back from being what God has created you to be, to fulfill the very purpose for which God has created you. Take a look at this in David's life, 1 Samuel 17, 12 through 15. Now, David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. His three older brothers enlisted in Saul's army, but David was held back to care for the sheep in Bethlehem. Will you circle the phrase, held back? Back. Have you ever been held back by anyone? Folks, this is a barrier, isn't it? Some of you have been held back, maybe because of your age, or your gender, or your race, or your ethnicity, or your language, or your education. Honestly, if you've been held back, I'm sorry. But the reality is this, is it not, that we have all been discriminated against with something. There's been some critic in our life who says, you can't do it. You're not old enough. You're too young. You're not good looking enough, which has never been one of mine, okay? But <laughs> folks, we've all faced those kinds of critics. Sometimes it comes from people that love you, that want your best. David's dad wanted him to be a shepherd. 
And yet, as you read this story, if you read before this story, he had already been anointed as king. God's purpose for him was already revealed, and yet David's dad didn't want that. That's why I had to repent, honestly, with my son. God's got a calling on my son's life to be in inner city ministry. And I got all kinds of fears built around that, okay? Secondly, he's a white boy, okay? But that is his heart. And David's dad didn't want that. So will you write this down? The first barrier to you fulfilling your purpose is delay through a delayer. When God gives you a dream, folks, it never happens immediately. He gives you a dream, and then there is the waiting period. This is the first barrier to fulfilling your purpose. Delay through a delayer. David's dad didn't think he was old enough or experienced enough to fight along with his brothers, to fight for King Saul. In fact, David's dad thought so little of him that when Samuel, the last judge, who's getting to choose the second king, the the king through which uh, Jesus is going to come through, David's dad thought so little of David that he sent him out in the field. He's the runt of the family. Go tend to the sheep. Truly, there were many years, uh, with many years and many problems with, with, between David being anointed as God's second king, that is his purpose, to him actually becoming king. Delay. The second negative types of, the second negative type of person is society or culture or the conventional wisdom of the day. Will you write this down? Everyone else was afraid and their fear held David back. It was a barrier. You see, the view of that day of Israel was that this giant was unshakable, unbeatable, unstoppable. What is so funny in this story is the one that was promoting this fear was Goliath himself. He just taunted them all the time. And Israel bought into it. And so the second thing that holds you back, will you write this down, is discouragement from the conventional wisdom of the day. The first is delay through a delayer. The second one is discouragement through culture, through society. When everyone around you is saying, it's impossible, it, it can't be done. Take a look at 1 Samuel 17, 8, 8 through 11. Each day Goliath would stand and shout at the ranks of Israel's army. Why do you come out here and line up for battle? Choose one man to fight. If he's able to kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Day after day, Goliath taunted them, saying, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, everyone was deeply shaken and paralyzed with fear. Notice the situation here. One guy is creating this fear, and Israel is frozen. They're paralyzed. They're hopeless. Maybe you've worked in an environment like that. Maybe at your workplace, in your office, there is a culture of fear. So no one tries anything new. Man, if we try anything new, we might upset the status quo. I mean, we can't do that. And not only that, if it fails, we might get fired. I guess there's no hope. 
That is what is happening here with Israel through the conventional wisdom of the day. Now, I want to tell you something. The conventional wisdom of the day is often wrong. Just because the majority of people might believe a certain thing doesn't mean that it's right. Folks, there's a lot of things in our culture today, would you not say, that is not right, and yet everybody believes it. Moses sends 12 guys out into the, into the promised land. God says, it's yours for the taking. You just go in there and take it. It's yours. Ten of them come back with a negative report and influence the majority. Two of them said, no, let's go for it. We all know who they are, Joshua and Caleb. But ten impacted the majority. And the majority says, let's don't do it. Guess what? They were wrong. Now, why was Israel in this place? They had been given the promises of God. He says, you're it. I'm going to be on your side. It's going to work for you. Will you write this down? They were listening to the wrong voices. Take a look at 1 Samuel 17, 16. For 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant loudly berated the Israelite army. Every day for 40 days, Goliath is out there. You guys suck. You're no good. You're weak. You can't do anything. Here's my question for you. Who are you listening to about your life, your purpose in life? Are you listening to those who say you can't do it? That it's impossible? Who do you think you are? Now understand something. The loudest voice, I believe, isn't the ones that are coming from culture. It's the ones that are inside of us. We speak to ourselves far more than we speak to anybody else. And our voice is the loudest voice. But I ask this question again. What voices are you listening to? You need to listen to the voice of God. If you listen to the negative voices without and within, you can become paralyzed. Well, Pastor George, how do I get out of of this? You need a new fresh eyes, a new set of fresh eyes and fresh ears because this is what happens in this story of David and Goliath. David shows up on the scene. He hadn't been there for for those 40 days. He hadn't listened to all the negativity that culture was throwing at him. He wasn't affected by their negativity. He's the new kid on the block who had some fresh eyes and some fresh ears that caused him to say, who in the world is that pagan? I'll just chop his head off. He's history. And you see this in the story. It says in verse 23 and 20, as David talked with his brothers on the front line, he just got there. He saw Goliath start, first time, shouting his usual threats to Israel's army. When the army heard Goliath, they all ran away in terror. Now, if you don't get anything else, please get this. Don't listen to what the culture says. It may be loud, and it may be causing you to speak louder to yourself, those same negativities. Stop listening to what the culture says and start listening to God. He has a purpose for your life. The third negative person 
It's David's brothers. In fact, it is his older brother. And will you write this down? His brother questioned his motives. And this too is a barrier of you being and doing all that God has for you to be and do. You see, when you share your dream, when you share the purpose that you believe that God has created you for, that you're going to go after in God's way, people will think, you know what? you got a big ego. Now, they don't know that you are trusting God. Will you write this down? This is the barrier of disapproval. And I believe this one is the most hurtful one, especially when it comes to families. We, we want to be liked. We want approval. And we definitely want that approval from our families. We want them to think that what we are giving our life to, what we are focusing maybe all of our spare time in, is the coolest thing ever. And when they don't think that it's cool, it hurts deeply. Now here's David's dialogue with his brother. In verses 26 through 29, David asks, What's the reward for killing this Philistine and ending this disgraceful abuse? When David's older brother heard this, he burned with anger at David and said, Why are you even here? Why aren't you taking care of your scrawny little flock of sheep? You cocky little brat. I know how conceited you are. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even ask a question? Can't you hear the disdain? Can't you hear the disgust, the disregard for this conceited little rugrat David? It's his brother, I believe, that was conceited. It was David's brother that was upset with David because he thought he'd, up, he'd turn over the apple cart. He'd do something new. He'd break the status quo. He'd turn the system upside down. I really believe the conceited one wasn't David at all. It was his brother. And I say that because oftentimes people are misinterpret oftentimes people misinterpret those who are trusting and confident in God as being conceited. David had built a lifestyle of trusting God. His brother did not. And so when David says, hey, I'll take that guy. I'm, he's just I'll chop his head off. His brother thought, you little rug rat, you little conceited little twerp, get back to your scrawny little flock. You see, people who don't hear God Judge people who do hear God and trust God as being conceited. Who do you think you are? Folks, that's the wrong question. It's not who you think you are. It's who you think God is. And that is why I say let the size of your God determine the size of your goals. If, you're, if you just look at life through your prism, Doing what you can do through your little self, guess what? You're going to live a very puny little life. But if you let the size of your God determine the size of your goals, you will, you will know that you are in the center of God because the goals will be so big that you can't do it yourself that you truly have to depend on other people. 
And so when you attempt to do the impossible, to fulfill the very purpose for which God has created you, you will be misunderstood. You will be maligned. But understand, they don't understand what you understand. They don't have the dream that you have. They don't have the purpose. They don't have the vision. And so oftentimes they're negative. David was doing what God had called him to do. He knew God's anointing was on his life and he was trusting him. The fourth critic are the experts. And we write this down. The experts doubted his ability. And in your life, people will doubt your abilities. Now, we have to admit, as we read this story and understand David's life up until this point, that he was never in the armed services. He was never a Navy SEAL. He was never a Green Beret. He was never uh, um, uh, on on uh, Delta Force or in special ops. He had no military experience whatsoever. All David had was a little slingshot, a few rocks that killed a lion and a bear. David, no doubt, was an amateur. So when King Saul hears of David, that he wants to take on this giant, here is the conversation that they had between each other. In verse 32 and following, don't worry about a thing, David told the king. I'll fight this Philistine. In other words, you you let me at him. I'll take his head off, okay? I love this. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can go against this Philistine. You're only a boy. And he's been a professional warrior all his life. Will you circle the word professional? He's saying, leave it to the experts. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to hear those kind of things. As you seek to fulfill the very purpose for which God has called you, you're going to say, hey, why don't you leave that to the pros? Why don't you leave that to the professional missionaries to to turn a world upside down? Hey, you're not a pro. You are an amateur. But just like the majority are often wrong, so too are experts. The ark. You know Noah's ark? The ark that saved the world was built by Noah, an amateur. Professionals built the Titanic. I view myself as an amateur. I am an amateur pastor, and I like to think of myself that way because the Latin word for amateur is amor, to love. Amateurs do what amateurs do out of the love that they have in their hearts for doing it. Have I told you lately that I love you? I do. I love the people in this church. I love the people in this community. What makes me come back year after year after year and being with God in the mountains is the love that he has put in my heart for our community and for our larger community. And David did what David did, not because he was a professional, but because he loved God. And he hated to see God's name being slandered. And he says, I'll take that sucker on. I'll cut his head off out of love. Professionals, though, are wrong. 
Now, before we jump in to the skills that you need to, to practice this truth, I want you to take a look on the screen out of 1 Samuel 17, 17 and 18. One day, Jesse told David, his son, take this sack of cracked wheat and these 10 loaves of bread and run them down to your brothers in the camp. And take these 10 wedges of cheese to the captain of their division. Check in on your brothers to see whether they are getting along all right. And let me know how they're doing. Saul and your brothers and all the Israelites in their, war, in their war with the Philistines in the Oak Valley. David ends up at this scene with Goliath, okay, in the Valley of Oak here, okay, because he was taking cheese and crackers to his brothers. I want you to think about that a little bit. The moral of this story is this. Before you'll be able to take on the Goliaths, you have to be content to be a servant serving cracker and cheese. Are you willing just to be a servant? David was doing a menial task serving crackers and cheese to his brothers. Are you willing to be faithful in the little so that at the right time, God will help you to be faithful in the big. Faithful in little, faithful in much. I have discovered that small kindnesses oftentimes leads to bigger and better opportunities. My son David came back and he's sharing with me about a house in the hood. That over the last year, he's just been faithful just to go there and serve. And God is beginning to work things where they're interested in bringing him on. They're just being faithful in the little things. And he's working on his doctorates now on this kind of stuff. It is amazing when you and I just do the little that God at the right time and in the right place, bam, there's the big opportunity. So how do you handle the critics? How do you handle the negative people? Well, there are four things that you and I must do. Whether that negativity is coming from a parent or a partner or an expert or just conventional wisdom of the day. All of us deal with delay and discouragement and disappointment and disapproval. And so we need to understand and sharpen our tool in these four ways. And the first one is this. Remember, they're not God. They may be good. They may be godly. They may be great. But they're not God. So don't treat their opinion as God's opinion. Take a look at Proverbs 29, 23. The fear of human opinion disables, but trusting in God protects you from that. There are a lot of people in our culture that are walking around with a disability that don't even know that. Know it. And that is the addiction to the approval of others. That is the addiction to human opinion. I love today's English version of this verse. It reads, it's, a da it's dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you. 
Now let me say this the most polite way that I possibly can. What other people think of you is none of your business. Did you get that? What other people think of you is none of your business. What is your business is what God thinks about you. And God made you to love you. And he wants you to love him back. And he's got a purpose for your life. Seek after it and you will find it. But it's none of your business or my business what other people think. Because if you and I get caught up in what other people think about what we are seeking to do and how we're seeking to communicate it, we will become paralyzed. And some people are locked in prisons where they can't move. My job as your pastor is to help you not to retire, but to re-enlist. To be all that God has you to be so that as you get to the end of your life, you can look back and say, I have fulfilled the very purpose for which I have been created. And I don't care what other people think. Take a look at this verse, Isaiah 8, 13. Do not fear anything except the Lord Almighty. He alone is the Holy One. If you fear Him, you need fear nothing else. Will you write this down? The bigger God is in your mind the smaller other people's opinions will be in your mind. God is great. He is holy. He is awesome. You and I ought to fear him. And if I fear him, I won't fear anything else and I won't fear anybody else. But that only happens as my vision for God gets bigger. And as my vision for God gets bigger, the smaller my problems become. And so you've got to have a big vision. The people who are negative and putting you down, they may be good, they may be great, but folks, they're not God. So let me ask you this, who's playing God in your mind? Who are you allowing to be God in your mind? That's called idolatry. The second thing that David did that you and I need to do is this, don't get distracted. Now, a great illustration of this is, is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament, and Nehemiah was not a pastor, he wasn't a priest, he was a business guy. He was living in Babylon when God gave him this dream. He says, this is your purpose in life. And he was in Babylon because God's people had been disobedient. But God is bringing his people back to Jerusalem, to Israel, and God plants his purpose in Nehemiah's heart, and that is to make Israel great again, to protect the people that are coming back to Jerusalem by building a wall. Sound familiar? And immediately, there's opposition. So, every opposition, I have this formula, opposition plus um, uh, opportunity equals God's will. It always happens, okay? And Nehemiah, you see it, he had all this opposition. He had enemies trying to thwart him through rumors, through ridicule, through threats on his life, and then lastly, through discussion. Let's discuss. Four times people, the enemy, tried to get him to discuss what was going on, to slow him down, to get him off track. And four times he said this. Look at Nehemiah 6, 3, 4. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am doing a great work. I cannot stop to come and meet with you. 
Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. Now, this trap of getting distracted through ridicule, through, through, um, uh, through discussions, through threats, I believe is more prevalent today because of the Internet. Today, because of the Internet, we have people that are trolling your Facebook pages, wanting to become friends with you so that they can argue with you to get you off track. So let me say this. When someone responds negatively to what you believe, to what you are attempting to do, you do not have to defend it. You don't have to defend everything that you do and everything that you believe. Who cares what other people think? Don't allow your need to be understood to distract you from you fulfilling the very purpose for which God created you. Now, I hate to say this, but no matter how much you try to discuss some things with some people, they are not going to like you. And they are not going to like what you are attempting to do. There's this thing that they coined back in the early 90s called motivated reasoning. 95% of the time, you and everyone else makes decisions based on emotions backed up by logic. I call it the new car, new car smell syndrome. You smell that car emotionally, I'm buying it, though Logically, on the outside, your budget says you can't afford it, but you figure a way, don't you? Same is true with people that are trolling to get you off target. They won't like you, and they won't like what you're attempting to do, no matter how much you give them reasons for why you're doing it or why you believe such and such. Who cares what they think? Don't be distracted. One day, God will lay it all out. Jesus is commissioning his 12 to go out first time, okay? In Matthew 10, he says this. Don't be intimidated. Eventually, everything is going to be out in the open, and everyone will know how things really are. So have faith. Wait for that day. Third key. Never attack back. Realize their opinion is not God's opinion. Don't be distracted and never attack back. In other words, don't be a smart mouth. And don't be sarcastic. Let me show you some verses. Proverbs eleven twelve. 12. It, it is foolish to speak scornfully of others. If you are smart, you will keep quiet. People who speak scornfully of other people's political views, of other people's religious views, of other people's sports teams, God considers as a fool. But God says, if you keep quiet, even if you're attacked, guess what? You'll be considered wise. So let me let you in on a little secret. There will be people who are going to be negative about your lifestyle and your belief system, about your marriage, about your kids, how you're going to raise your kids, the career path that you're going to go on. Can I just say this? They're not that bright. 
It doesn't take a rocket scientist. You can take the average person off the street and they can tell you 10 things that are wrong with your life. It takes a genius to know what you've got going for you. It takes a genius to build a building. It takes a genius to create a piece of art. It takes a genius to make a movie. It takes a genius to build a good, godly life with the waves of change that go in our culture. It takes a genius to build a good, godly family that rises like a mountain in a desert at the right time. And yet, when they criticize you, yeah, you could be sarcastic and come back at them, bam, right like that. But don't. Be like Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 2, 23. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You and I are never more like Christ when we keep silent while under attack. The fourth thing is stay focused on God's promises. Don't focus on the people. Don't focus on the problem. Focus, stay focused on the promises of God. Be a promise keeper. Let me read a few promises. This is from David a little later in his life. Bitter people spoke against David and talked of stoning him, but David found his strength in watching TV. He found his strength in the Lord. How? Look at verse Psalms 118, verse 6. The Lord is for me, so I will not be afraid. What will mere mortals do to me? People might not like you. That's okay. You don't need their approval to be happy. Take a look at this verse in Psalms 119, verse 11. David said, I banked your promises in the vault of my heart. Where does hope come from? As we stop listening to our feelings, we start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God, falling on the character of God. And David later in this psalm, Psalms 119 verse 41 said this, show me how much you love me, Lord, and save me according to your promise. Will you allow God to save you through his promises? even though there's all kinds of negativity going on around you, will you allow God to save you through his word, to give you hope, to be that beacon of light in your family, in this church, in this community, to say, you know what? Things can be different. And you too can understand the very purpose for which, you, for which God has created you just like I have, and I'm going after it. Now's not the time to retire. Now is the time to re-enlist. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are a God who is for us and not against us. That you're a God who loves us so much so that you created us to be loved by you and to love you back. 
and to experience the very purpose for which you've created us. But God, sometimes it's just hard when there is so much negativity going on around us. Maybe even from people who love us, who want the best for us, but they don't understand. God, may you help us by being promise keepers, hiding your word deep in our heart, focusing on your promises and not the problems, trusting in you. Today, I don't know where you're at with Christ. You may have had him in your heart or in your head, but he's not in your heart. You haven't hid the promise fulfiller, the one who fulfills God's word in your heart. Will you do that today? Just say, God, I admit it. I've been a people pleaser. I've done things that I'm not proud of, but today, God, I do believe that you love me, that you died on the cross for my sins, and I'm placing my trust in you. God, begin working in me so that you can work through me, through my hands and my feet and my eyes and my ears. And if you prayed that prayer, I, I don't care how you prayed it, it doesn't matter as long as you meant it, but would you let me know? On your communication card, just take it, write your name, email address, write the letter A, check the box, appropriate box in the back, get it in the offering basket, and I'll get you some literature because God's not done with you yet. God, I thank you for this new season of ministry. We look forward to all that you're going to do. Help us, God. We need tools and we need skills. In your son's name we pray, amen.